Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well November 9th. One's taste in food can indicate and can also influence his state of consciousness. Eat only foods that are rich in life force and energy. Some foods are stale and virtually dead, lacking as they do all vitality. For human beings, fresh fruits and vegetables are the best. Don't eat foods that are either excessively stimulating or excessively bland. Foods convey distinct vibrations which affect one's consciousness. It is therefore good to avoid eating meat, especially the meat of animals that are intelligent enough to know they are being slaughtered and that therefore experience such violent emotions as fear and anger. Fish, fowl, or lamb are better for those who crave meat. In consuming the flesh of more highly evolved animals, however, such as pigs or cattle, one absorbs harmful, harmful emotions into oneself. Well, that is a lot of interesting stuff, isn't it? We'll have to sort of try to go through it a little at a time. I had my period of time in being a food fanatic at different times in my life. You might say I still am because I'm a very committed vegetarian, not quite a vegan, but close to it. Um, but I'm not a vegan for philosophical reasons. I'm only so because my body doesn't uh, tolerate dairy products. I need to say that very quickly because I also eat eggs and I'm not committed to a vegan diet. I know people are committed. I'm not. Um, the, um, when I first started on the spiritual path, very often, at least in, in my generation of people getting interested in the path, the first step is often diet. It's, it's the first idea that somehow I can influence my consciousness often begins by thinking about what we're taking into our body and how it affects our body and then how it affects our body, how it affects our mind, how it affects our spirit. And, and sometimes there's a kind of awakening when you sort of begin to realize that you're eating dead animals. You know, we don't, most of us do not live on farms. Most of us have very little actual relationship between the fact that what we're eating um, now actually used to be a living creature. When people lived on a farm and slaughtered their own chickens or slaughtered their own ducks or even hunted for their own meat, whatever it might be, they understood the relationship between what they were consuming and that it used to be part of a living creature. The American Indians who lived off the land and also lived from the animals that shared the land with them had, had um, many elaborate um, rituals for staying in tune with the, with the great spirit. And often they would, when they were pursuing, a, let's say, a herd, they would ask for one of the animals to sacrifice itself so that they could live, you know, so that most of the herd would live, but one of you needs to sacrifice yourself. And very often an animal would move aside and make himself available because they were all working in relationship with each other. Now, you just go to the market and you pick it up. You pick it up either even already cooked or already packaged, and you, you, you know dimly 
that this used to be a living creature, but only very dimly. Dimly, Oftentimes, little children, you know, who are reading farm books and have stuffed animals and all of that, often there's a tremendous traumatic moment when the child realizes that the chicken that they love is the same as the little chicken that they think is so cute in their storybook, or even the chicken they visited at the farm. And they learn that the cow goes moo, moo, and then they realize they're eating the cow and their hamburger. And sometimes children get quite traumatized by that. Some children become vegetarians, um, especially nowadays because many souls of a high vibration are being built in. I'm, I'm surprised at the number of people who tell me they've been vegetarians since they were children because they just developed this aversion either to killing animals are literally an aversion to the, the feeling and the taste of meat. Now, Master highly recommended a vegetarian diet. He didn't require it. And he said exactly what Swami's saying here, that the, the more intelligent animals, primarily pigs and cows, which is beef and pork and bacon and ham and all the things that come from a pig, sausage, and so on, um, they know they're being killed and they resist the death of their bodies. And they resist it with fear, and they resist it, he says, even with anger. It's just they're powerless in the face of it, and they feel their life being taken. They may be suffering. I mean, there's more humane and less humane ways of doing this. No, it's, it's not... I mean, Master was not absolute about it. He just said, think about the effect on your consciousness. And also, there's widely documented scientific studies about the effect of red meat on the physical body, and it's just not good. For the most part, it's just not good. But from the consciousness, Master says chicken and fish and lamb, the, the, at least you don't have such a strong emotional overlay. So all you're eating then is the flesh of an animal that used to be alive and you've taken its, its life. And there's some karma in that, but at least the animal itself is not angry and frightened as the higher animals are. So it's a a gradation that we can go through. And even Master, you know, even uh, not merely allowed, but even encouraged some of his disciples to eat meat when their body proved itself incapable of being vegetarian. Eat a little fish, eat a little lamb, he said, once a week or so. And I know some vegetarian friends who have also come to feel that they just have to have some fish, or otherwise their body's not strong. Um, when I was starting with diet back when I first became a vegetarian, which was when I was about 18. You know, I, I became a vegetarian. It sort of all happened at once. I just, I developed an aversion to to the knowledge that what I was eating, the phrase sometimes we use is, it had a mother, although I eat eggs, and so eggs sort of have a mother. Another way of saying it is it, it's able to move on its own. If it can move on its own, then I don't want to eat it, which allows me to eat um, eggs because they can't move on their own. It's just a level of life. It's my arbitrary point with that. But if it could move on its own, I developed an aversion to taking its life and eating it. I just couldn't think about why I would want to do that. And I also could tell that the heavier diet, and that's what all, all these flesh, animal flesh is, it's heavier. Its, vi its vibration is heavier, and it's literally its physicality is heavier. And after many years of, I was never completely crazy in the diets that I followed, but I paid a lot of different attention to a lot of different food theories and experimented 
with a number of them myself, including being vegan, which I've sort of gone in and out of, but mostly until recently I ate dairy products and I still eat eggs. But I just found that it just made a difference. It just made a huge difference to how I felt physically and how I felt mentally and how I felt in my consciousness. Just like, just exactly what he was saying, the, the anger and the fear, it would come in and I would feel it. I would just feel it in myself. Now, of course, you become sensitive to these things, but once you become sensitive to them, you can't really back up. But putting the whole question of vegetarianism off to one side for a minute, um, the other question is what he talks about is vitality. And, and after all the different things that I've been through, <clears throat> life force and vitality is where I've really come down. <clears throat> a great deal of food that, is, that you buy in the grocery store that is in a package, in a can, or you know, just some form that food does not come in naturally. And you're looking at something that has, been, has gone through so many stages by the time it got to you that it really, you, you can't tell what this originally was. It's just a sort of it now, something like this. And it's been shipped, and it doesn't rot. I mean, I think anything that doesn't rot is already dead. And if it's already dead, you have to be really careful about whether you want to put it into your body. Because you have to make sure that what you... This is, this is how I think about it. You have to make sure that what you put in your body gives you more energy than it takes from you to digest it. And see, that's what happens with a lot of food. It just doesn't have any life force. It, it's already... Yeah, well, it's already dead is the actual word I can think of. Now, I don't want to be too fanatical about it because I have in my cabinet some whole grain cereals and things like that, and I have some canned tomatoes, and I have canned garbanzo beans. It's not like I don't buy anything that is convenient, but I try to keep my diet recognizable. I try to keep my diet, when I, when I was given, a, it was actually a meat substitute, it was a veggie burger product, and when it was, um, when I looked at the list of ingredients, first of all, there were really a lot of them and they very quickly stopped being anything that I knew what it was. And then I looked at this other veggie burger, which is the one that I'd been buying, and it had about six ingredients, and every one of them was something I recognized. And I sort of looked at it, and I thought, well, you know, I know what the life force is. This has already been packaged into this convenient veggie burger. I would rather make them myself, but I am also compromising and willing just to buy them. I recognize all the ingredients when I hold it in my hand. It still looks recognizably like food. If it doesn't stay frozen, it will rot. That's also very nice. Versus this thing over here, where I don't have any idea what any of these are. It's not, it's just not just a question of what it might do to my body in a negative sense. What is it going to give me? What, what God-given life force is in that? Now, I'm, I'm not trying to be fanatic. I'm just sort of like... The closer we are to the way God made things, the less they've been tampered with, the more likely they are to have some of that remaining life force in them. And that's why Swami speaks of fresh fruit, fruits and vegetables. And he says, virtually dead, lacking as they do all vitality. We have to ask the question, what's the purpose of eating? Now, Swami has another thing here which is really interesting. He says, don't eat foods that are excessively stimulating. 
stimulating him. I'm not really exactly 100% sure, you know, sort of what he means by stimulating. Does that mean really spicy or, or that just make you want to eat more and more of them like potato chips or, or, or a, a big rich dessert? I'm not really quite sure which way he means that word. But the other word, he says, or excessively bland, which I actually found very interesting. I cooked for Swamiji for many years, and um, I, you know, I developed the ability to cook in a way that pleased him. And he was, he was very sensitive to both the taste and the quality and the vibrations that went into cooking. In fact, toward the end of his life, he had, uh, well, toward the end, like maybe the last 20 years, he had a full-time cook who traveled with him everywhere, who prepared food exactly to his liking, and also to his physical needs, because his body became increasingly delicate. And she had an extraordinarily uplifted and refined vibration. So everything she made was just, the vibration of it was perfect. But Swami always had this point of view, and I'm again, I'm sort of slightly guessing, excessively bland. He didn't just say bland. Because plain foods like plain rice or plain steamed vegetables with a little lemon. I mean, this is a favorite meal of mine, so I'm sort of like I, like, I like food simple. But what Swami meant by excessively bland was, especially he saw this among um, health food fanatics, where they would serve something that um, just really wasn't, that didn't have any taste, that didn't have, that didn't, uh, that didn't in any way please the palate. And I actually was think, trying to think this through. And, and even I, who have an extremely simple set, set of uh, requirements for eating, fresh and vital, I mean, no. But if it's excessively bland, if I'm trying to affirm that it tastes good, I mean, I feel that way, for example, about oatmeal, you know, unless I just totally fill it with milk and honey and raisins and things like that. I can eat it, but even as I eat it, I feel my system rebelling against it. Because it just, it's, it's a, tapasya is the word I want to use, it's a tapasya to swallow it. And Swami often said that if the body isn't enthusiastic about what you're eating, then, the, then it, it, won't, um, it won't give energy and vitality to the body in the same way. Because at the same time that you're taking it in, a piece of you is rejecting it. So I think that's what he means by excessively bland. Because otherwise it's a matter of taste. I, I had sat at the dinner table with Swamiji and you know, had in front of me a, a whole bowl of, of steamed greens, which I would put a little lemon juice or a little olive oil on. And I just thought they were yummy. I could just eat a whole bowl of it. Swami, to Swami it was excessively bland. And he would, he would eat those same greens if they were cooked with just a little more interest. But for him, his body rebelled against something like that. So I think that's what he's saying. Don't become fanatical. Pay attention also. I mean, your, your appetite and your taste buds. Now, see, what you have to realize is um, the, human, the human taste can be corrupted. Master talks about this in many places. Human beings have the capacity to develop tastes that are exceedingly unwholesome. So you, you can't just go by what you like or don't like. But at the same time, you can't just entirely ignore what it is your body is trying to tell you. So 
especially if you're transitioning from habitual, very unhealthy diet into a healthier diet, you have to work with you. You can't just say, I'll follow my appetite, because you have to, you have to purify the appetite before you can follow it. But also you can't do such violence to the appetite that the body is rebelling against it. And I have experienced that, so I really do understand what Swami is talking about. But he, what he's saying here is, if you wish to transform your consciousness, pay attention to what you're doing with your body. And as I said at the very beginning of this, a lot of us who became very serious about changing our consciousness actually started by changing our diet. So I recommend it as a sort of a first way of taking a hold of yourself. Swami said, one's taste in food can indicate and can also influence his state of consciousness. Eat only foods that are rich in life force and energy. Some foods are stale and virtually dead, lacking as they do all vitality. For human beings, French, fresh fruits and vegetables are the best. Don't eat foods that are either excessively stimulating or excessively bland. Foods convey distinct vibrations which affect one's consciousness. It is therefore good to avoid eating meat, especially the meat of animals that are intelligent enough to know they are being slaughtered and that therefore experience such violent emotions as fear and anger. Fish, fowl, or lamb are better for those who crave meat. In consuming the flesh of more highly evolved animals, however, such as pigs or cattle, one absorbs harmful emotions into oneself. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.